So Money Episode 193, James Altucher. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest, his name might sound familiar, and that's because he's been on the show before. He's also kind of famous if you... I don't know, surf the internet. And I am very fortunate to say that my friend and author, James Altucher, is back. He was my second guest on So Money following Tony Robbins. And James and I worked together at thestreet.com. We did a lot of videos together about investing in stocks, the economy. He at one point um, tried to save my life. And we talk a little bit about that story uh, in the beginning of this interview. He also talks about it in the original interview. It's something that um, merits a lot of discussion. And so if that's not a tease, I don't know what is. But more importantly, today we've got him on the show because he has a brand new book out called Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. It's a guide to navigating the new financial world that we're all living in, how to generate wealth and how to earn your own freedom. And in true James Altucher style, this interview goes a little all over the place. I naturally had my own list of questions that I wanted to ask him, but, but that didn't really happen. We sort of went all over the place, but I think in the end got an even more quality interview. We talk about the secret to getting what you want. So whether you're listening to the show because you want to find a new job, you want to make more money, you want to have a successful business or all of the above, we talk about how to earn those great things. Why, and this is a little controversial, a lot controversial actually, why 401ks are no good and how we're all going about retirement wrong. I mean, I I took issue with this because I mean, I'm a big fan of 401ks and a lot of us have them. And of course there's a right way and there's a wrong way to investing in a 401k. So we go into that in a little bit of depth and how to write the perfect email to someone you admire and to actually get them to not only respond, but to offer you help in return. This actually happened to James talks about it in, in detail on the podcast. And so that, and so much more, awaits us. Here we go. Let's unleash the great James Altucher. James Altucher, my friend, welcome back to So Money. We just can't get enough of you, so I invited you back. You're my second uh, my second guest to come back. My first guest to come back. No, no, no. I meant, <laughs> scratch that. You're my first guest to come back for a second time, is what I meant to Excellent. say. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Farnoosh. This always gives me flashbacks to the hundreds of videos we used to do together at thestreet.com. Remember when we did the man on the street thing, even outside of Apple, or did I mention that on the first you one? You did mention it on the first one, but it's worth re-mentioning. I think you tackled a homeless guy, which I don't, you know, I'm, no, not, I'm not promoting I, tackling homeless guys, but he was getting a little, guy, he was getting a little territorial with me. Yeah. He, the homeless guy tackled me because I got in the way between him and you. Oh, so, okay. Next time you just tell the story, because clearly I don't remember um, yeah, and, you have me like act like a homeless guy. I'm gonna, it's gonna make me look bad. Do people still wait outside the Apple store for the iPhone next iPhone? Do people still do that? 
I, you know, I think they do almost out of nostalgia. So, so the answer is yes, but I think they only do it at that up, uptown store. Yeah. Cause it's the flagship. Um, so yeah, and actually I wrote to my newsletter the other day about interviewing for my job at thestreet.com and how I was able to negotiate. I doubled my salary at that interview, um, from my previous job. And so lots of good things happened at the street, including meeting you and getting to do tons and tons of videos with you and watching now your career take off like crazy. Um, is yours too, wrote a book and then another book and got on today's show or what? Good morning. One of the, all well, of I remember those. James, you told me one day that I, we were in the backseat of a town car heading up to some event for the street. It was like, it might've been, I don't know, might've been even on the way to the iTunes, to the Apple store. I don't remember where we were going, but I told you I was coming out with You're So Money, the book. And you turned to me and you said, Farnoosh, this book is going to change your life. And I was like, I kind of got goosebumps at that moment because when you speak, things happen. And that's why I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. You've written a new book, um, one of several, but this newest book is Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. You sort of teased it when you were on the podcast back in January and happy to say it came out not long after our interview back in January. And it's taken me a while to get you on the show because you've been a busy man. But let's talk about Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. This is a contrarian book to put it lightly. You say things in here that people, you've even gotten death threats over some of the things you've proposed in this book, like forget the 401k, uh, you know, don't buy a house, don't go to college. So why did you want to write this book and, and um, how are those death threats going? <laughs> well, no one's killed me yet, but... Uh, Clearly, no but, one's killed you yet. Let me ask you this. Do you get a lot of, like, like, I get a lot of positive email too. Like, I would say it's like, 20 to one positive to negative, but do you get a lot of like angry males? Like I get some real angry males sometimes. I don't get a whole lot, but I get some really deep thinkers emailing me. And like recently I had a, a gentleman say like, why are you promoting so many women on your show? Don't you have any, do you have any men that you might want to like talk about from time to time? And I said, and, and I should have just hit delete, but I really, I've gotten, I've matured to the point where I can identify when somebody needs help versus is just like being an a-hole. And this guy I knew, I, I wanted to just, I mean, I wanted to stick up, first of all, for all the ladies out there and just also educate him on what my show does. And I said to him kindly, I said, well, you know, have you actually visited the podcast's website? Because more than half of my interviews are with men and they're all great, inspiring stories. So um, I'm not really sure what you mean by your email, uh, thanks for, and I said, and I said to him, and I've gotten really good at doing this. If you're not happy with the content, the unsubscribe button is below. I'm really confident in telling people, if you don't like my stuff, if you don't like what I'm doing, please don't join me and bring your hate to my show and to my email box. And, and I do it in a very like matter of fact, not threatening, not mean way. I'm just like, Hey, as a reminder, you can unsubscribe. And you know, he wrote back and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's totally me. I'm going through some things. My mother was an alcoholic. My, I've had issues with women. And, and I thought, you know, this is, this is a deeper than I thought, I suppose, issue. And if, by the way, if, dude, if you're listening, um, I'm sorry if I'm sharing your story, but I'm doing it anonymously and I hope that uh, you're not upset with me for doing this. But I mean, these, I, I don't get a lot of emails, but when I do get the negative, it turns out um, they're just looking to actually start maybe a conversation with me. And I don't have time for conversations, to be honest, like that. But um, 
it, I can, I've gotten better identifying the trolls versus the people who um, just don't know how to express their constructive criticism. Well, it's funny because I find whether they're trolls or whether they're just kind of negative, you, you hit the nail on the head. They're always 100% of the time dealing with issues, just like, just like you or I are dealing with issues. So, so that hit a nerve for you, enough for you to respond. Like, like out of all the negative emails, you responded to that one because he knew exactly how to weave his way in there to push the button. And he uh, also was, was dealing with his own issues. It was a classic case. But I find just in life in general – like it, if anybody's angry at me about anything now, they might be justifiably angry. Maybe I did something, but still they're dealing with their own issues. Like yeah. no matter yeah. what, whenever there's anger, there's fear underneath and they're always dealing with their issues. So is that, is that what you have found in, with your recent book is that people aren't necessarily angry with you, but they're perhaps they actually they actually appreciate what you have to say, but they're upset with the fact that they've done it all wrong or a different oh. way. Well, it's hard for them to appreciate what I have to say in some cases. Like, let's let's just take a classic example. Um, let's say for, for 10 years, you've been putting all of your money in a 401k because everyone told you, well, the market has never, you know, gone down over X years period. And, and look, I'm, you know me, I'm always kind of uh, uh, bullish on the markets. But in, in general, a lot of people who put money in 401k starting 10 years ago uh, are kind of down or negative and they've paid all these fees and so on. And so they, they, I, I got some very vicious uh, emails and tweets. And so I did kind of an experiment where I sort of looked up, well, who's the most vicious? And <laughs> some of them are, are actually people you and I both know. And it turns out they're always uh, brokers who are selling 401ks. <laughs> Right. So that's on that's on the 401k issue. Another issue was so I'm not a big believer that most people and by most people, I would say 95 percent of people, most people should not buy a house for many reasons. And I can go into those reasons. Um, and I kind of throw out all the math and, uh, you know, t I take a real deep analytical look at, at the math of it. And it, it's just it costs you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so somebody wrote a very scathing host and tried to syndicate it everywhere against me. And I, I looked him up. Turns out he works for the National Association of Realtors. Mm. So, so another time I wrote about education and I'm also a believer. Uh, and this is, this is now more and more people are believers in this. 10 years ago, people didn't believe it at all, but now even Google will kind of admit this, but that you don't always need a college education to have a successful job in life. And in fact, most people probably don't need an education. And particularly now with student loan debt over like $1.4 trillion, more than, more than ever before. And tuitions versus inflation going up every single year for 40 straight years in a row. It's a college education is almost like uh, insanity at this point. So Georgetown University actually did a whole research report uh, responding and they mentioned me and they do all these statistics like over the course of your career you'll make an extra eight hundred thousand dollars and they have all these statistics but they they made very very simple like statistics 101 mistakes that that no one should ever make who who went to college and uh <laughs> I, I pointed this out to them like i called up 
the professors and I sent them emails and I was very polite about it. I said, here's where you made like a math mistake, like a basic math mistake. <laughs> and they, I never got any response at all. Like, like not, they, or, oh, one person said, um, I'm sick. Uh, and I'll respond to you at some other time. And they never responded. Okay, this is when you know you what you say is definitely moving the needle. And this is when you know that what you are saying is definitely being heard. When you have the National Association of Realtors, you have Georgetown University taking you to task. I mean, I have trolls. So I, I would say <laughs> if that is a measure of who's more successful and uh, I, I, you, you get the I, trophy. So like people just calling me crazy or whatever. Like, for instance, you know, people people – the biggest financial decisions you're going to make in life are, you know, buying a house, uh, going to college, um, probably I'll throw in there, you know, getting married and having kids and, uh, and contributing to a 401k. So I'm not saying don't do these things. I'm just saying these are the biggest decisions you're ever going to make in your, in your life financially. Mm -hmm. And they're going to cost you in the long run. You know, if you look at kind of the opportunity costs and everything, they're going to, they're, they're, they're either going to cost you or make you millions of dollars, depending on what you believe. So I show the math of this, that in fact, many of these decisions cost you. And now that's fine. You're allowed to spend money on whatever you want, but just be aware of what the hidden costs are. Right. Not, it's not as clear as, as you sometimes think. And uh, people get very angry because there's a cognitive bias. Oh, if I just spent $200,000 on a house, that must be the right decision. Because otherwise, my brain is telling me I would not have made such a crazy decision worth $200,000. You know, so there's this cognitive bias to get very angry if someone tells you that you might have made an incorrect decision if you didn't think it all out. So let's so like, talk, can we, can I interrupt you for one second? Because the 401k issue is a real issue. You know, you do pay a lot of fees. You can't, it, it, I don't say this, is, this has to be the case because if you're in low fee index funds, you can sort of minimize your fee exposure. And, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. So they just opt into whatever investments they're told to do. And then they end up paying a lot out of pocket. But, and you're not the first to bring this up. Tony Robbins brings this up in his book. Elaine, Helene Olin brings this up in her book. Um, and I've had them all on the show. But what I, what I want to ask you is, well, what's the alternative? Because one of the things about the 401k that is great, I think, uh, is that a lot of employers allow you to in- invest automatically. And, and that is, as we know, from a behavioral standpoint, necessary if we want to ever get anything done. We're too lazy. We don't like making any effort. So if something is done automatically, like putting money aside for your future, yes, there are fees, but if we didn't have the 401k, people just literally, what are they supposed to do? Go to a brook? What, like make even more of an effort to start a fund? I'm just trying to think like, how is this... Can this be easier for human beings to save for retirement? You know, it's a great question, and you make a great point. Uh, and I was talking to to David Bach, who wrote the uh, the Automatic Millionaire, and and he, he makes the exact same point, which is, you know, before you even see the money, you know, make sure it's deducted and put it in the either a four hundred one k or savings or whatever. So so it becomes automatic for you, which is basically what, what you're saying from a behavioral point of view. And I don't. Well, I I hate saying I don't disagree because what I'm really saying is I'm about to disagree with you. But uh, the the problem is not just the fees, is that people are unaware of so many things about the 401k. Let's just look at it conceptually for a second. Your employer pays you for a split second, like the money's in your hands for a split second, like a microsecond, and then suddenly it's not in your hands anymore 
It's in something, something that you're not allowed to touch for maybe up to 30 more years. And, and now, you know, everybody, it's in everybody else's hands. So just conceptually, like your, the, the bank is, has, has their grubby hands all over it. Maybe your employer still has their hands over it, depending on how much management of, of your 401k they're involved in. Um, and you never got to use that cash or wonder if maybe that cash has, has better uses for you. So, so where, so, so, so let's just, this, there's so many different angles to look at this. I don't quite know where to start, but let's say you're 25 years old, which is when people suggest you should start saving so that by the time you're older, you have a significant savings account. The problem is with the 401k is when you're 25, your effective tax rate is probably, you know, 20%, 25%. But by the time you're 59 and a half, it's up to 40%. So it doesn't really matter. Like, And plus your salary is much, much higher. So whatever kind of nickel and dimes you put in tax-free to your 401k when you're 25 years old are like trivial compared to what you're pulling out and what your needs are when you're 59 and a half. Particularly, you know, we're kind of in a healthy aging population. Um, you're going to be making significantly more. Your tax rate is more. Your needs are greater. So that money... That like, let's say $500 a month that you put in at 25 and a half, you know, let's say you were 25 years old or 29 years old or th whatever, 30, uh, you could have put it to better use by investing in yourself. Because right now, and this is really uh, kind of the basis of a lot of my points, we're living in a an economy that is very much changing right under our feet. It's almost like an earthquake and people are kind of in denial about it. And um, the, the reality is if you invest in your, in your learning now, like there's many online courses or you could, I don't know, on the side get a camera and study photography or you can study uh, WordPress development or you can study coding, or, cooking or writing or all of these things really. The, the most important investments people, young people need to make right now is in themselves because if they just say, okay, I'm going to just throw it into Apple stock every year. Well, Apple might go down in the long run. Like just because the stock market goes up, individual stocks might go down. Um, and, and, you know, very few of us, and I'm not even including myself necessarily in that, but very few people in general are qualified to invest in the stock market or to know what funds to invest in. And I would include most fund managers are not qualified to invest in the stock market, you know, as evidenced by their returns. Like you take a major fund company, and this is what they're allowed to do. They're allowed to uh, stop marketing and including in their track record funds that don't work. So if a fund stops, you know, starts returning negative, they just slyly drop it off and they never mention it again. And you never know if you were in it for a while and they just moved you over to a better performing fund. I mean, I, I find in general, very few people have had great, you know, market um, related returns uh, from their 401ks. I don't know if your experience is different. Um, well, going back to what you said about investing in yourself in your 20s instead of a 401k, you're also assuming that a 24-year-old, a 25-year-old will use that skill that they have in, that they've learned or that that wit that they've invested in themselves to then be smart enough to learn how to leverage that. And that is, do you teach that in your book? Like, okay, now you've learned how to cook or now you've learned how to code. How do you now leverage this to, I suppose, earn 10x what you would have earned? Um, how you just stayed in that job or put money in the 401k. Can, yes. do, do, you, do you talk about the next steps from there? 
Yes. And so, so I talk about it in two ways, really. One is just my own personal experience. So, so I've made a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. Like I've lost, you know, all of my money. I've, I've gone from having like, you know, a lifetime's worth to zero to lifetime's worth to zero to making money again. And I've done it so many times that, uh, it almost makes me sick thinking about it. Like I literally get a gag reflex and feel like throwing up. But at the same time, um, you know, it's also given me a lot of experience about what has at least worked for me and what hasn't worked for me. So in my book, I don't necessarily give advice, but I just simply say what has worked for me and I try to generalize it as much as possible. And then people can decide if it's worked for them. Talk so about I, the, yeah, so go ahead. Sorry. So, so, so for instance, I don't say like you see a lot of these books like make six figures in 60 days or something like that. Like all, all those books are BS. They might work today, but they're not going to work a year from now or two years from now. And that's always been the case, like with those very highly specific, like get rich quick books. So this is what I sort of realized, uh, you know, is that after making and losing and making, uh, several fortunes and then losing them is that what worked for me is not like where I put my money or where I put the right button on my website or what industries <laughs> I should focus on and who, how I should sell my business or whatever. What really worked for me first, stage one, is working on the inside. And so, and I, I, I spoke about that on the last one, but, and I mentioned that also in Choose Yourself, but it's always the very first step. You know, you can't be entrepreneurial, you can't be successful as an employee or an entrepreneur if you're not physically like doing what you can for growth, emotionally being around positive and supportive people, mentally being exercising your creativity muscle because we live right now in what I call an idea economy. I don't even think we live in a knowledge economy anymore, which is sort of a, against what most people, most people think we've moved from an industrial economy to the knowledge economy, but knowledge is now outsourced completely. And we're moving to an idea economy where the people who flourish are the ones who come up with good and both quality and quantity of ideas. You practice then, this every day. You you said that you come up with like 10 ideas a day. So since we last spoke, James, in January, what's one idea that has turned into something financially worthy for you in the last, say, six or seven months? Um, easily, I could say I decided to start monetizing not all, like 99% of my content I do not monetize and it's free. I write every day. I write millions of words a year for free and my podcast is free. Done 500 podcasts so far. They're totally free. But some things, if I'm going to talk about the economy or financial stuff, I've decided to uh, monetize that and use that money to hire researchers, you know, highly qualified researchers to Im better improve my content and, and even the stuff that I, that I d deliver for free. And, you know, that since I've launched that just a few months ago and it's already uh, uh, close to an eight figure business. So Are you kidding? that's amazing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very uh, fortunate. A lot of people were very supportive and uh, I didn't have to do any, you know, most people don't even know I'm, I'm doing it. I don't really do any heavy marketing, but uh, but it's worked. And I feel the second I feel, you know, I have a kind of a value system for it and it's message first. So the second I feel that it that money ever um, becomes more important than message, then I would shut it down immediately. But uh, the message has been really good and, and I feel the quality is high. And so that's one thing. 
where I'm constantly figuring out new ideas to put in this premium content. And I'm not trying to market it here or anything. Like you, like I said, you could get 99% of what I do totally for free. And I'm perfectly happy when, when people do that. And, and all my podcasts, there's not an ad on them. I, I do it for free. Uh, not that I have anything against that either. Uh, so, uh, you know, any, everything for, for all that people give, it shouldn't be so hard to ask, but people, if you've given free stuff for a long time, people sometimes don't like it when you, when you ask. Um, the other thing I've done is I've written another book. So I wrote a book, uh, it's coming out September 1st and it's called the rich employee because a lot of people thought when I said, choose yourself, it meant, okay, tomorrow I'm quitting my job and I'm choosing myself. I think you can choose yourself and still have a job and still create wealth even as an employee. Uh, and, you know, Farnoosh, you're a great example of someone who, you know, kind of had the rich employee mindset, which is how I start this book, which is you were working at thestreet.com. We were working side by side, but you were always an independent thinker. You always knew, okay, what, how can I expand myself? How can I expand my message to people who care about me. Um, and you would talk to people like me and others who are su very supportive of you. And, you know, we would do these videos. You, you, you made a name for yourself in kind of these online financial videos. You wrote a book. You were very much thinking about many multiple possibilities for yourself beyond uh, the mindset of just working at one place for the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, you, you had the right mindset. And I talk about that mindset and how to develop it and how to monetize it in this coming up book. I like that. A lot of people write into me as well and say, I, you know, I, I appreciate people who go out and become entrepreneurial, start multi-million dollar businesses. That's not me. How can I make the most of the job that I love? That happens to be a nine to five, but I really want to kind of maximize my time there and my, and, and by the way, when I was writing a book on the side and doing external work at thestreet.com, thestreet.com appreciated it because I was doing that all under the umbrella of, or the title of Farnoosh from thestreet.com. So I was taking the street.com banner and you can do this at your own company too. If you want to be out there more, uh, you know, talk it through with your employer, say, I'd love to go out there and spread the word and spread, you know, spread this message that we're doing at this company. It helps you and it helps the company. It's a win-win. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you totally nailed it right there where, you know, the rich employee is probably not going to be a factory worker only because the company doesn't want you to be rich. They just want you to kind of hammer the nail all day long, 12 hours a day. Exactly. But you have you, one of one of the things of the rich employee mindset is you have to work at a company where they're going to tie their success to your success and vice versa. You have to tie your success to their success. So, you know, it's good to be at a company for instance that, you know, either gives stock options or allows some ownership or allows some split in the profits if you propose a project that they say yes to. You know, there's many ways to 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 kind of tie your success to the company's, but also Similarly, they need to tie their success to yours. So I'll give you an example. I was once um, – I'll, I'll say the name of the company when, when I tell the story. But uh, I was once asked to lunch uh, or breakfast uh, with the executive editor of a major national newspaper. And he asked my advice about something. He said – and this is the number one guy. So he said uh, – uh, or the number two guy. He said, listen, all of my reporters, my best reporters are getting such big – 
Facebook and Twitter and YouTube followings that they're starting to ask for raises. And uh, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, don't you want them to have huge followings on, on Twitter? That actually creates, you know, uh, viral articles and, and so on. It makes it means that you're, you have good reporters. And he said, no, at our publication, nobody's a star. So that's kind of like this old school thinking where he thinks just the, the just the banner at the top is all you need. But that doesn't really exist anymore. Companies come and go very quickly now. And, you know, consequently, over the years, you know, he got let go. Uh, all, all of his employees at the time were, were unhappy and many of them have since left the company and gone on to bigger and better things. So and that's the, the Wall Street Journal that I'm talking about. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of companies still feel that way and don't allow their employees to have a rich employee mindset. And that's honestly, your company is going to really succeed well if if you consistently act with the rich, both the companies and the employees act with a rich employee mindset. Yeah. And sometimes you have to make the case for the employer because if your employer is this fear-based employer that is living in the past, worried that you're going to become bigger than the company, uh, you need to present to them how it's going to be a winning situation, a winning scenario. And and sometimes they just need to be enlightened. Yeah. And it's, it's a scary thing to do. You, it's That's why the mindset doesn't happen overnight. Like you really have to practice Everything I suggest in the book, or at least this was true for me because I was very scared to, to put my hand out and ask. And but like, for instance, I met somebody a few months ago. We had we had dinner and he was telling me about his business career. He's never been an entrepreneur. He's always been an employee. Um, but in each pl- case, he was able to do what you just said, persuasively make the argument to try new projects where his financial success was totally related to the financial success of the project. And some projects worked and some didn't. But now he makes like millions a year because this is what he did. And he's never been an entrepreneur. He's always had a boss. I love and, that. Yeah. And and I've seen that now many times, hundreds of times. So it's not like an impossible thing. It's actually the direction this economy is going. It's an, like I said, an idea economy where you get you don't just get paid now. You know, uh, here's a check for five thousand dollars every month uh, for, for your knowledge or for your work. Instead, okay, if you have good ideas, you're going to make a lot of money. And if you have not so much good ideas, you won't make as much money. And what this means is, is that you're actually getting, through your pay, you're actually getting feedback on your ideas. So bad ideas or or the feedback you get, making no money is just as good in some cases as making money because then you're getting really good feedback on your ideas so you can improve them and get them to be better, which is different from the old school economy where you get paid every two weeks for 300 weeks in a row and then you're fired. Right. And you have no feedback at all along the way. You might have been totally declining in, in your value to the company, but you didn't know that. And then you just got fired. And now By the way, broke. that's happened to me. That's happened to me. It's I, happened to me too. Like it's horrible. It's the worst feeling in the world where you think you're safe and then suddenly like it, you're called into a room mm-hmm. and your boss and, and the HR person is sitting there. Like <laughs> if, that is If you ever scary. get a if you ever get an email at three o'clock in the afternoon, all hands on deck meeting in the boardroom, and it's from the big chief, um, don't be in that room. <laughs> right. Or no, even worse is is like someone you've never had a meeting with before says, but who's, but who's like a boss, like a manager says, Hey, meet me in conference room. A, uh, and, and, and in this one case, I said, and Hey, how about we- HR? Yeah. 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 No, he didn't even CCHR. And, but I 
wrote back and I said, hey, let's just take a break downstairs. And he's like, no, no, no. I need you to meet me in conference room A right now. <laughs> and, and then I go in there and like the HR lady, like with the whole book oh, is like God. in there, like with a tape recorder on. And uh, oh those gosh. are um, well, I, there's so many more questions. By the way, I envision you doing a huge speaking rounds of speaking at like various companies because this is something you could, I'm sure you thought of this because you're a genius at marketing. But this new book that's coming out in September has to be a book that every company must encourage their employees to read um, because you know, it's genius. I mean, that's the only, that's a great way for them to move their needle forward. You know, it's funny because I'm always very individual focused. Like I, I get so many emails and I'm sure you do too from people who say I'm unhappy, I'm stuck, but I can't quit because of this or that or the other reason. What should I do? So I'm very individual focused. I want individuals to have basically better well-being. And um, but I do think you're right that companies desperately need to encourage their employees to have a rich employee mindset. And and as an example, the same guy I was talking to a few months ago, who now is making millions of year, uh, millions a year. His company is making uh, has gone from making ten million a year to five hundred million a year because of projects he started. So you know the company only benefits by creating this mindset. I want to talk again about Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth, specifically the impression technique. Because, James, you know, you've made money and your fortune in ways that's very unique, that's very singular. Not the average person can't replicate, for example, investing in a company like Buddy Media in 2007 that later goes on to be sold for close to a billion bucks. However, you in, in your book, you do a very good job of showing how people can do whatever they want, whether it's make more money at their current job, uh, start a business, um, you know, secure their future by using what's called the investment, the uh, the impression technique. Can you distill that for us? Yeah. So, so there was one point in like 2002, I was literally, I had gone, I, I had lost a million dollars per week. And I'm not just talking about like on paper where like the stock went down or whatever that, you know, was the internet boom. I had cash and I was just stupid in every possible way. Like I should have literally just blown my brains out. I was so stupid. And I, I figured, okay, I need to, I need to figure this out. I need to figure this out and I need to talk to people. First, I need to understand what I did wrong. And so that was, that's a whole different topic. But I also need to kind of now start networking. Like I know nobody anymore. Um, and um. So I, I wrote 40 emails to like all of my heroes from like Warren Buffett to whoever. And I said, look, can I please buy you a cup of coffee and I'll do anything. You know, I'll fly out there. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And I got zero. I didn't even get like no thanks. I got zero responses. And the reason is like think about Warren Buffett getting this email. <laughs> He's not going to suddenly say hey, stop everything. Some random guy named James wants to buy me a cup of coffee. I've got $50 billion in the bank and <laughs> I need a cup of a free cup of coffee from this guy. No one wants Did you that. really ask him to coffee, James? Um, I said, can I spend some, can I spend like just a half hour with you? Uh, I'll fly out to Omaha. And, uh, and, you know, I didn't even have the money at that point to fly out to Omaha after having, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but I would have like begged, borrowed and stealed if he said yes. And so, but that was with everybody that I asked, like I asked all my heroes. And so finally what I figured out was, look, I need to 
you know, the I and I, we talked about this before, but I need to exercise this idea muscle because it's atrophied. Like I've lo- I've been depressed. My idea muscle is no longer creative. I need to just start researching everybody I want to talk to and then come up with 10 ideas to improve their businesses or improve something they're doing and just give it to them without any expectation back. You know, when you have no expectations, then all of your expectations will be exceeded. So I I did this again and again where I would send emails to 10 people and 20, then 30, then 40. But this time, instead of saying, hey, can I meet you? I would say, hey, I've read this, 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 this that you did. Even papers that they wrote, like academic papers that they wrote in the 1960s. I would read everything, watch everything, study everything. And I would come up with 10 ideas to help them in some way. And I would say, I, if you did these, any of these 10 things, I will pay money to see these things. If like, if you're, if you're a writer, I'll pay money to read these articles. Or if you're a hedge fund manager, here's some software I wrote that will help your hedge fund business or whatever. I, I, I literally like packaged up software and said, I'll, I'll train you how to use it, whatever. And, um, out of 40 people, three people responded. Uh, one person, one of those created my entire career in writing just totally i'm really grateful totally created a career for me which to this day continues another person um gave me money to manage and i started a hedge fund and that changed my life totally created a career and i had he didn't do it just off the email i had there was months of dinners after that and so on but you know and the same thing with the other guy and then um the third guy i never responded to this was in 2002 but a year ago i finally responded to that exact email (laughs) that he responded, that he replied back to me and I asked him to come on my podcast and he did. So, so ultimately all three really, uh, I benefited from all three and that's the impression technique. You create an impression. Most people didn't respond again, but the three who did, two of them literally made me millions and millions of dollars. And did you, uh, which have, I, yes. I totally lost again. But you lost, but did you have any relationships, contacts, six degrees of separation between you and these 50 people that you admired, or was it literally you just made a list of people you admired? Because I want to make this really tangible for people listening. Like, Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. I had zero, okay? Because I am com- I was coming out of, I prior to that, I had worked at HBO, the television company, and I had worked, uh, I made websites for record labels. That was my first business, was making websites for record labels. So all 40 of the people I contacted, though, were people in the financial industry. So for instance... The, the writer I contacted was Jim Cramer. I had zero connections to him at all. The hedge fund manager, I had zero connections to. The guy who was on my podcast uh, last year, Nassim Taleb, I had less than zero connections to. I had I kind of just randomly wrote the contact button on his website or whatever. And he wrote back, sure, let's have lunch. And I, to my regret, I never responded then, but I responded last year and he was such a nice guy. He came on my podcast. It was, it was really fun. And, um, but Jim Kramer, um, I gave him 10 ideas for articles to write and I really researched what kind of articles I would read. And he said, these ideas are so great. Why don't you start writing for the street.com and write these articles? And the hedge fund manager I wrote, I said, here are 10 trading systems. You can have them. Here's the software for them. You can have them complete. And he said, this is really interesting. Let's have dinner. He invited me to his house. I met his team. They all gave their opinions on me. You know, we all talked about the markets. So he knew I knew what I was talking about. And he ultimately gave me money to manage. And then I was able to leverage that 
to uh, raise other money and build up a hedge fund and then a fund of hedge funds and, and so on. So, I mean, you kind of have to build up and pursue. Um, but these these people were in the first round, never responded to me at all. That in and of itself is a course that I would pay for. How to write successful emails to people you don't even know that can turn your life around. Well, well, you know, and people write me unsuccessful emails. So I'll tell you an example of an unsuccessful email. An unsuccessful email might be, James, I will help you with whatever you need. Tell me what you need. That's a very yeah. unsuccessful email because he's now giving me work to do. Like now I have to figure, I don't know what his skill set is. And now <laughs> I have to figure out something, something I need. Like my wife, my life's been going, he has to tell me something I didn't realize I needed until he sent me the message or she rather. Um, so that's one example. Another example is of course always the, Hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Uh, you know, sometimes I, I do say yes to that just because remembering my own experience, but most of the time it's very hard to do, or I'd be drinking coffee, you know, most of every day. Um, and then another type of unsuccessful email is if they just don't send me, if they send me ideas that show they haven't researched my needs. So for instance, like you mentioned the guy who wrote you an email saying, why don't you have more men? Well, I get that also. Uh, and I have to say, look, I've had, I've literally had every race, ethnicity, sexual background, you name it. I've had it on my podcast and they just did not do the research. They're just not, they're obviously not listening to your show, which is, you know, like right. Or, that point. Or, or, or they'll say like, or they won't have listened to my, or they won't have read my book, which is a fairly easy book to read. Um, you know, and I can tell by the question that they asked, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of answers in my books. So a lot of times people ask me questions that I've already answered many times in my books or my blog or whatever. Uh, and I'm very forthright about, you know, like you said, you would pay for a course. I'm very forthright about just giving this stuff mm -hmm. in my books or emails or anything. And, and I, and I come up with the content based on the questions people have already asked me. And they're usually people ask kind of the same questions because we're all, we're all sort of going through this hard time where, uh, you know, at different points in our lives where we don't quite know who we are or what we want to do or what's going to make us happy. And we reach out and explain, this is my situation. I did this, this, and this, and now I'm in a bad situation. Can you please help me? What should I do next? And the simple answer, it, like I'll give, I'll, I, I know I'm talking about, but I'll give you one quick example. Somebody wrote me and said, James, I'm doing every aspect of your daily practice, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. I'm writing down 10 ideas a day, but on Friday night, I go out with my friends and they all uh, laugh at my ideas and put me down. What should I do? Get new and friends. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I wrote back and said, I have a, I have a great idea. Stay home on Friday nights. Mm -hmm. And he, he never responded again. But like sometimes people also like I just talk about what's worked for me. Obviously, that wasn't working for him yet. People kind of have to sort of grow into their own solutions as well. Well, and obviously he's not supported. You know, I think that's a big key yeah. to success is, is, you know, we know the saying and it's been repeated multiple times. Like, I don't even know who the source of this is anymore because everyone owns it, pretends that they own this saying, but it's like, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with the most. Um, and, and that is true. And I, I'm proud that I surround myself with my husband and my son, but also a lot of amazing people outside of my home life. And I would never be anywhere I am today if I was around people who were like, Farnoosh, you're nice idea, but you know, no one's going to believe that or want that or, 
you know, your your dreams are too big. Uh, come on. The people in this world in this in our lifetime that are that have the craziest ideas, guess what? They're the ones who go out and accomplish them. Not- no, you're 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 totally right. Like the emotional support from like partners, friends, like even if you were married, just the people who you're around, uh, is so incredibly important. Like and you can't change it overnight. It's sort of like a thing where I say, look, don't try to change anything. 10% in a month, even though the, the math of emotions is weird, but, uh, although I know, have dropped friends, to, I have dropped friends overnight so that, that, that you can do. Yeah. So what, well, the way I view it is almost like a bonsai tree. So like you, you let some branches grow and you cut other branches, but it's like a 1% a day thing. So like every day I kind of look at the landscape and figure, okay, how could I improve my emotional life just a little bit, uh, you know, in this direction, and away from this direction. And over time, starting with that philosophy in 2010, that has completely changed my life above and beyond anything I could have ever hoped for. And that doesn't include just mental. It's just, it's, I mean, emotional, it's also on the mental side, the spiritual side, the physical side, changed my life a hundred percent by doing this because well-being, you know, not happiness, but well-being is kind of a combination of, do we feel a sense of growth and competence are we good in our relationships? And do we feel like we have ever growing freedom in our decisions? And the combination of those three things is really what creates a sense of well-being. Well, I would end on that. But last time you were on the show, I forgot to ask you my so many filled in the blanks. Okay, go <laughs> for it. They're a little silly, but I think we'll have fun with them. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is uh, which you have, we have earned more than probably a lottery winning at this point, but let's just say someone knocks on your door and drops off like a hundred million dollars. Um, the first thing I would do is, um, uh, I would give it to, I would give at least 90% of it to women for women international, which is a great organization. I don't mean to promote them, but you might even know about them. Uh, it's, it's single women in war torn countries like Afghanistan or Africa or wherever, and who are trying to start businesses they do all sorts of things to, to help these women with, with single families. So I really like that one organization. And then with the 10 million, I do, I like to do what I call a micro charity, which is I, I find personally specific situations that I try to help out. Now this is ringing a bell. So I might've asked you these before, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to do it again. I mean, I make mistakes. Really um, I have a really bad- I think I'm coming down with okay. Alzheimer's. Well, yeah, yeah, so great. So I come up with new answers. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Uh, uh, business class instead of coach uh, when I'm traveling uh, across an ocean. For sure. Yeah. I mean, because I'm- let, let's say you're doing a speaking engagement. Let's even just say London. Uh, you, you don't want to like have a week's worth of jet lag and have to speak, it's going to, it's going to ruin your career opportunity. So it's mm-hmm. worth the, have you seen these new middle seats that they're contemplating some airlines where you're like facing the middle seat as, as if it wasn't already horrible, that middle seat in, in coach in the middle, in the, it's like you are facing the opposite direction than the people next to you. Oh my God. So like and that, everyone has to like stare at you while while you're That's sleeping crazy. with your mouth open. Um, okay, on the flip side, on the flip side of that though, JetBlue just, just introduced. They used to be all one class, which was Coach. <laughs> now they just introduced their Mint class. Yes, and and it's one 
it's like either one fifth or one third the price of American Airlines uh, business class or first class. And it's the same routes, you know, they're doing route by route. So I highly recommend uh, doing that because it's like pretty much the price of coach on American Airlines is this mint class. Yeah. Their new airplanes are really, they're so money. You can actually go up and, and take as many snacks as you want from the snack bar. You don't have to, you know, ask the flight attendant and then you feel like a real pig because you're taking like a few or three pop chips. This way you can just go up when you feel like it and it looks like you're going to the bathroom, but you come back with like animal crackers and pop chips and exactly. it's, a, it's a good right. life. Yeah, it's a good life. JetBlue is a great airline. I I like the stock also. <laughs> okay, okay, making people always ask me for stock picks. I I, I can't, I can't. But JetBlue, all right. One you know, thing, if I, if I if I love a product and they're doing the right things and it's right at the beginning of them doing the right things, then I like the stock. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on. This is a little too similar to my other fill in the blank. I'm maybe I that was my error in coming up with these fill in the blanks, but. People have been giving me different answers, but my biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of you know money what? on. You know, maybe this is really boring, but I don't I don't have any because uh, maybe books are the only thing. And, I, and that sounds kind of pretentious. so I don't want to say that. But uh, uh, I, I really I had guilty pleasures and it cost me millions of dollars. <laughs> so now I stay really disciplined and I don't have any. You just have things you like to spend on that make your life easier or better. Well, you know, one thing, one thing my wife, Claudia and I did a few months ago was we threw everything out. So we literally just like limited, I would say we threw out 90% of what we had. How did you decide what to throw out and what to keep? Well, we use kind of the technique roughly in this book. I think it's called the magic art of tidying up by Marie Kondo. It's a bestseller in Japan, but it's been translated to English. And she suggests you put everything on the floor one by one. And if you love something, you keep it. And if you don't really love it, like it's like you don't you don't feel this total emotion in your chest, uh, you just throw it out. And so I already had all my books on my Kindle. I wasn't really in love with my plates or most of my sheets or really most of my clothes. Like I had been carrying around clothes like since high school practically, <laughs> and uh, I just threw everything out. Like there's nothing, in our, there's no bookcases, there's nothing in our closets that we got rid of all our big plates and most of our small plates we got we never have guests so we got rid of like most of our sheets uh we just we're boring people i'm boring so now is your home too too big is your too much storage like what are you doing with all this free space no it's great it's just empty so like i have a computer that i sit at it's just in in a mostly empty room with a table and with a mostly empty table and uh it's great you know einstein once said he he responded he was critical of this you know Someone said to Einstein, show me a cluttered desk and I'll show you a cluttered mind. And Einstein replied and said, well, then what what kind of mind does someone with an empty desk have? And I actually like having a pretty empty mind. So I don't I don't mind that. It's more <laughs> relaxing, less stressful. I don't like to be stressed. Perhaps the only thing that Einstein ever said that was a little controversial. <laughs> well, he he you know, he, it was all God does not roll dice was also controversial. Oh. Well, because quantum mechanics goes. Against yeah, it. my dad's a physicist, so we'll have to ask. Bring him on your podcast. I oh, should, my, you know what? I pod- should bring. My dad taught me a lot about money, and so I recently had myself on my podcast recently. Um, but people have asked me to bring on my family members because I think that's very revealing. That can be very revealing. 
It's true. I've had, well, well, Claudia, my wife and I, we do a podcast together, Ask Altucher, and she was a big contributor to this book, uh, The Rich Employee. But also I've had my daughter Molly on my podcast and people like say, bring Molly back on because it's really interesting to get, you know, alternative points of views uh, from, from people, particularly people kind of outside the who haven't been doing like hundreds of podcasts already. Some of my favorite posts of yours are, are about your kids. I think um, they're going to grow up to be and if they're not already, they're going to grow up to be pretty, uh, pretty amazing people. I'm sure they're already amazing, but they're going to be um, if they're anything like you and Claudia as you're raising them now, it's going to be Fantastic. I, I hope so. We'll see. The, the jury's still out. I'm, <laughs> I'm not afraid it's hard. For, they're like in their tweens and teens now, right? So they, they probably have their – they know everything and you don't know anything. That's true, particularly and you know, for my like 16-year-old daughter, although she's starting to respect me when she sees some of the guests on my podcast. Like if I have like a famous YouTuber or like some you know famous musician or whatever, uh, she's, she's starting to like, whoa, that's pretty cool. So, so I'm getting her a little bit, bit by bit. I'm reeling her in. Okay. And last but not least, James, I'm James Altucher. I'm so money because. I'm so money because I'm good enough to be the only, the first person to be a repeat guest on the so money podcast. (laughs) Can't even tell you. I didn't know that. Like, I can't even tell you how grateful I am that, that you have me on again. Oh my again. gosh, James, I'm so, I, I, I always am a little timid. I know you're busy and you get tons and tons of emails and messages and posts and all, but you're always quick to respond to me. So I really am honored. I'm honored. I, I'm so appreciative. Um, or no, I, I know you almost more than I know, lo- almost longer than I've known anybody in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I'm going to respond to you quickly. So, oh, you're, well, thanks you're so much. Mind. We're family. We're family. Yeah. This is great. Um, I have had reruns on this show, but you're the first fresh second episode live, second coming of of the same guest. I can't even get it right. The second appearance, the second appearance of yes, a guest. Yes. Thank you. My goodness. It only took me like 45 minutes to get that correct. James Altucher, thank you so much. Congratulations on the Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth and the forthcoming The Rich Employee. Is that what it's called? Yep. All right. We'll be looking out for that for sure. And um, I'll see you around the block. Okay. Thank you, Farnoosh. Thank you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about James, check out thealtucherreport.com. James is also very active on Facebook. So if you're not following him on Facebook, I highly recommend you do that. His podcast, he's got two of them. One is called The James Altucher Show. The other is called Ask Altucher that he co-hosts with his wife, Claudia. He's on Twitter at jaltucher. So a lot of ways to find James online. And um, I'm, again, really excited to say that he has been on this podcast now twice, the only guest to be on So Money twice, and I wouldn't have it any other way. If you'd like to access the transcript from this interview, maybe leave a comment, head over to somoneypodcast.com, and there you can uh, access all of that. But also click on Ask Farnoosh, because there you can ask me a question. Every Saturday and Sunday, I respond to your questions. And so if you've got a question about money, clearly, or career or family or life or interest rates or whatever is on your mind currently, send me that question uh, by clicking on Ask Farnoosh and I will get it and I will uh, add it to the roster for the weekend. And if you'd like a free 15-minute money session with me, hmm, how would that sound? You and me one-on-one on on Skype, 
Uh, go to iTunes and leave a review for this show. Every Saturday at the top of the show, I select one new reviewer to receive that free 15 minute money session. Uh, so this is something that, you know, you dig in, you're curious about, we leave the review. Uh, I would love it. And hopefully we will connect. All right. Thanks so much everyone for tuning in tomorrow. Uh, we've got David Bach. Now he is not coming on again. He is a rerun, but, uh, I'm starting this new thing where Fridays starting tomorrow for the rest of the summer, I'm going to be doing, um, reruns. Cause I find that Fridays are kind of a low traffic day, not a ton of listeners, uh, as compared to the previous days. So we just want to sort of maybe take a break for me, for my listeners and air good interviews, great interviews from the past. Uh, once again on those Fridays for the rest of the summer. A little summer break. All right, that's a wrap. Hope your day is so money.